0: Hi there, I'm Roger Fox and you're
1: listening to Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. With me is my co-host Jenny Dillon. Hi, Jen. Hi, Roger. How are you? I'm well and I hope everything's going well in your garden since we chatted last.
2: Oh, yeah, well, we're catching up.
1: Yeah, it's that time of year. Autumn's a catch-up season, isn't it? So in this episode, we're going to take a look at two classic autumn gardening themes, the best trees for seasonal foliage colour and how to create stunning bulb displays by planting them into pots. Plus, we'll also talk to horticulturist Matt Carol, about vertical gardening, which is very much in fashion these days. And later on, don't miss our chat with Milton Black, Australia's favourite astrologer, for his tips on gardening by the moon.
2: You're listening to Garden Better.
1: Now, when it comes to colour for the autumn garden, don't forget the fabulous foliage colours on offer from deciduous trees. Their glowing, shimmering hues can be amazing. Red and yellow, Purple, apricot, gold, crimson, bronze, the list goes on. And while it's true that the colours tend to be a little bit more intense in colder climates, many of them will colour up well in mild coastal zones too. So wherever you live, it's well worth checking out your nursery about this time of year to suss out the best performers for your climate zone. Now, Jen, are you a lover of autumn foliage colour as well as autumn flowers?
2: I love them. I yeah, love so the foliage I. especially. I mean, my walk at the moment in the mornings, because in the evenings it's dark. So. It is a bit um, daylight
1: savings finished, but unfortunately. But there's
2: a big block of flats down the road and they have lined the front of them with um, ornamental pears. Yeah,
1: now that's one of my favourites. It's too.
2: just so beautiful. I yeah. mean, in the summertime, they're a beautiful soft green, or glossy green, and then – they turn to this amazing purpley-red colour in autumn.
1: Yeah, lots of different shades on them, aren't they? Yeah, They're quite a yeah. multicoloured tree.
2: But the thing that also gets me is that once the, all the leaves have fallen, you can already see... the buds coming out so it's sort of like a promise of what's to come and then in spring it just goes ballistic
1: doesn't it? Yeah and then of course you get spring blossom as well with ornamental they're almost one of the best of all the autumn trees from that point of view because you get it almost every season and I notice they've become really popular with landscape designers they're cropping up everywhere I think they're very hardy don't you? Oh
2: absolutely hardy I mean they just thrive on neglect put them and forget.
1: Absolutely. And also they're one of the ones that does well in mild climate zones. I mentioned that in my intro that everyone, a lot of people think of autumn trees as having to be somewhere cold and they do colour up beautifully in cold districts. But ornamental pears do well in mild coastal zones, as do a couple of other favourites of mine. I don't know if you agree. Japanese maples, I find, do quite well. In, they do really in my, well. I live in a non-frost area, as you do. Yep. Um, the Chinese tallow tree, sapium Sabiferum, it's yep. a good one for autumn it's gorgeous. colour in, in my place. And of course, the crepe myrtle, which I think we touched on in a previous episode, yeah. it does autumn colour well.
2: But if you want to, if you do live in a cold climate, and, and I'm harping back to an earlier life when I used to go down to Canberra and be locked up in Parliament for their budget specials, yeah, and fun. it always coincided with autumn, yeah. and you get down there and of see the fabulous trees then, and yes. that's when I really fell in love with um, the silver birch. Ah, right, okay. You know, because they – and some of the leaves have that lovely soft lacy green and then they turn to that beautiful butter yellow. Yes. And then they fall and then you've got just those beautiful barks that are so – silver and ghostly. And it just gives the tree in all the seasons that beautiful, delicate, frail and vulnerable appearance. Yeah,
1: it does. The silver birch is gorgeous. And you're right, it's one of the best yellows. I divide them into reds and yellows. Ornamental pear gets lots of reds, as do the maples. Uh, My favourite yellows would be silver birch and also Liriodendron, which goes an amazing yellow, and also the golden ash. I think that's a good standby. Another one
2: of my favourites is the ginkgo. Oh, ginkgo. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yes. It's
1: stunning. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fabulous. So, um, and then there's others just for the pure, bright, brilliant reds. And among those are the lipstick maples, which is a range that came out a few years ago. Um, there's forms called October glory and autumn blaze and Fairview flame all within the range, but they are fairly moderate sized maples and they have fabulous, stunning colors. So that's a, that's a good one. I don't know if you've ever come across those. Um, what do you think of liquid ambers? I love the colours. Some
2: people are scared of the tree because it gets huge. It gets huge. And I think they've banned them in some councils, actually. They have. But... Um I think where we live in a temperate area, the colours aren't as spectacular as they could be.
1: With a liquid amber? Yeah. That's right. And can I just put a a plug in for them? If they are too big, there are smaller growing cultivars. There's one called Gumball, which is sort of almost a standard form of liquid amber. There's another one called Parasol, which has a sort of umbrella-shaped head. So there are a couple of smaller ones if you love your liquid ambers. I think those two are from Fleming's Nurseries uh, in Victoria who grow lots of deciduous trees. Um, um, also on my list because I've jotted down my faves here was ginkgo, which you already uh, which you already mentioned. It's beautiful, um, and scarlet oaks and pin oaks are stunning. Better in colder climates. Yeah, I think. better in colder climates. Cold. You're a kiwi by birth, so yes. you probably saw a lot of those as yes. a kid. They're yeah. beautiful in New Zealand. Um, and then the claret ash is another good red. Oh, it's fabulous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. So all of the above, and you don't need a lot of space. Is the thing with uh, autumn trees. I've only got a, a, a sunny courtyard, and I've got Japanese maple. And And it does a stunning colour display every year, you know, so you don't need lots of – and you can grow them in a pot.
2: But, you know, if you've only got a tiny space, if you've only got a courtyard and you've got nowhere to plant a tree, there are some plants that just give the most gorgeous colours in autumn and winter – and still keep the leaves. And I'm thinking of nandina yeah, or sacred true. bamboo. Yeah. And it's in wintertime that they, they, the leaves go from green, soft green, dark green, and then they just explode in these beautiful scarlet colours.
1: Yeah, that's true. So you can get a sort of autumnal colour effect from, um, from shrubs and evergreen plants as well if you yeah. hunt round. Yeah. yeah, they're gorgeous. Um, and just being a bit of a plant nerd, I was going to mention, a lot of people might think, why do trees go those colours? It's because as the temperatures lower and the days shorten, the trees actually turn off the supply of chlorophyll to the leaves in deciduous species. And chlorophyll provides the green pigment to foliage, as we know. As the chlorophyll saps out, all these other amazing pigments come into into display, which is why you get the the colours and the combinations of colours. You get some real venation on those leaves, don't you, with reds. The venation
2: is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's gorgeous. And the other thing about autumn trees, if you can, the best displays tend to happen in open, sunny positions, uh, not so good in, in shaded spots. And the ideal weather conditions are dry, sunny days and cool nights. But of course, you can't predict the weather, but that seems to give the best display. So if you're choosing a spot, that's the way to go. And I always think if you're going to buy an autumn tree, buy it in autumn, because if you get along to a good nursery, you'll see them still with the leaf colour on. Do you agree?
2: That's how nurseries work. They always put the flowers out when they're I flowering.
1: I know. And you don't think of it so much with autumn trees, but it is true. But anyway, it's another nice colour theme to um, to add to your garden. So while we're here in autumn, get out and check things out at the nursery. Now, autumn is the bulb planting season, but not all gardeners have the time or the money to put in a mass display of bulbs. However, there is a good solution, and that's planting bulbs in pots. That way you can still enjoy your favourites but you only need to buy small numbers of them and you can concentrate the impact by placing a cluster of pots somewhere prominent like by your front door. Um, Jen, are you a bit of a bulb fancier? Do you plant bulbs for spring flowers?
2: No, I don't. I've got a different type of garden but I do fancy bulbs and I quite often get them as gifts in pots.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, of course, they sell them that way, don't they? At a yeah. lot of flora. So you get one and you can sort of put it on display. It's an easy way to um, buy them and plant them too is a, a thing I've noticed. Um, you tend to have to go for smaller varieties, although there is a house I walk by Every spring, near where I live, and it has one large tub at the front filled with red tulips. That's all they seem to plant oh, in terms of flowers, yeah. but it's absolutely stunning and it's just the single colour. They must put them in every year. So that looks beautiful. Um, there's a few tricks to the, uh, to the containers. Avoid black plastic.
2: Absolutely. That's, I've uh, got that as a note here, actually, because they just get too warm for, for, for the bulbs. They heat it up so they quickly.
1: They heat, heat up the mix, don't they? And the other thing is, maybe you and I probably agree avoid black plastic in all every situation. Yes. It's only for bringing the plant home from the yes. nursery. Yeah,
2: And then, you know, next time they get give you a delivery or whatever or you're going back there, return them. Mm.
1: Absolutely, and that way you're recycling. Um, and the other bulb that does well in containers and shallow ones, it used to be a fashion for bulb was the hyacinth. It doesn't even need to be fully immersed in soil, I find. It can be half sticking out and it'll still grow and flower.
2: Actually, you can grow them in a little glass jar, actually, with water.
1: You can. The little uh, jars that you put on a windowsill, which uh, which are a good idea. But if you're going to plant a bigger display of bulbs, you can do um, a two-species display. You need a deeper pot. You need it then at least 20 or 30 centimetres, I'd Mm -hmm. say. And the logic, I believe, is that you always put the taller growing ones at the lower level because they need greater depth, mm-hmm. and then you stagger the ones above. So, for example, if you put tulips in and then you had some little crocus or something above, you put uh, the tulip bulbs in first, cover them with potting mix, and then stagger the position of the ones above so they don't all crowd together. Yeah, And um, also I think the logic with bulbs is don't plant them so they're pointing downwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Well, here's
2: a tip too also for um, um, tulips. they have a um, They have a flat side and – If you plant the flat side close to the edge of the pot and put them in a ring, you'll find that the the first leaves of the tulips grow out first, so you're actually getting the leaves coming out on the edge of the pot first. Oh, that's a
1: good idea. So the flat side of the bulb against the outer side of the container? Yeah. Oh,
2: Right. I didn't even no, know. the inside of the container. Oh, the inside of the container. Right, yeah. right, right. And so it comes up close to the edge of the container, and that means that once everything else fills up in the middle, you're actually seeing the display more than what you're seeing in the pot.
1: Oh, that's good. And look, it's an easy process. Even if people haven't grown bulbs before, all you need is a good potting mix. You don't really need any fertilizer. The nature of a bulb is it has its own nutrients right. in the thing. So they're a great thing for amateurs. So If you've never planted any and you're just dying to have a little terracotta pot filled with daffodils at the front door, like you see in all the magazines, like Better Homes and Gardens, we always choose images like that for our spring issues, it's really easy to plant them. You plant them in autumn and you can plant them. I've planted them as late as June, but they do recommend to do it by the end of May. Uh, They need those months of cold. They don't really need frost. Again, frost-free climates, you know, Sydneys and Perth's are fine for most bulbs. Tulips need a bit of time in the refrigerator beforehand. But they're not hard to uh, they're not hard to do, and just in terms of faves, let's share faves. I love for some reason, I love the combination of yellow and blue so I plant daffodils in pots and then I have to complement them with bluebells or grape hyacinths. It's one of my things.
2: Yeah, the grape hyacinths look gorgeous because you've got a different shape as well as a different colour.
1: Yeah, that's true. And the other thing that looks wonderful these days are the double uh, tulips, which didn't used to be available and they've got much bigger, much more gorgeous flowers, which is a great thing. Maintenance is pretty simple. All I ever do to mine and all I ever advise people is to water them. So you keep the potting mix damp but not soaking. What do you think? Well,
2: that's the big problem. I think that People can lose their bulbs by overwatering, and if you're going to be doing it in pots, you've got to be especially careful. If you're planting in the garden, then the water excess water is going to drain away. away, But if you plant it in a pot, just make sure that if it's a small pot, don't leave that saucer underneath.
1: Yes, good hint.
2: So that the water doesn't sit there because that'll just make the whole thing too damp. Absolutely, and they'll just shrivel. Or if you've got them in a a larger um, container, make sure that you've got um, pot feet underneath so that the water can drain away. Yes,
1: once again, drainage is important, isn't it?
2: It's really important for them. But they also need to be kept moist at all times.
1: Yeah, they do. And the other hint I would give is, unlike the planting distances recommended on a bulb packet for the soil, in pots you can plant them really close. Cram you can, them yeah, in. Yeah, cram them in. You really can. They can almost be touching so you get that effect. You won't always get a display out of them a the following year, but it's kind of – they're fairly cheap. It's but well, they of, are
2: cheap and that's why, um, you know, I think that uh, – You know, if you don't have the budget, you do have a budget for a pot because you can get a lot in there.
1: Yes, I agree. I think it's a a nice way of doing it. They're in the nurseries now. They're also available, I think, by mail order and in some catalogues as Mm -hmm. well. So it's the time to get them. Pick your own favourite combos. Mine's yellow and blue, but there you go. Mm -hmm. That's my thing. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's a great time to have a go at bulb planting if you haven't done it before and make it simple for yourself by using containers. Mm So not all gardening happens at ground level. One of the big landscaping trends over recent years has been the vertical garden, whether it be in a hotel lobby... On the side of a shed or against a sunny wall on a balcony, and here to talk all about vertical gardens with me is Matt Carroll, horticulturist and owner of Think Vertical, which builds and installs vertical gardens in private and commercial situations. Hi, Matt. Hey, Roger. So let's talk about uh, talk about the topic generally. Where yeah. are vertical gardens getting used these days? Are lots of people doing it domestically, or is it more the big uh, big commercial stuff? It's
3: probably a mixture of both, because. Um with residential properties getting a bit smaller, there's a lot of you know, especially in urban areas, that's where the main call for, for vertical gardens is for the residential side. But uh, commercial spaces, they're sort of seeing the, you know, the, the value that it brings to uh, those um, commercial spaces. So, you the know, hotel shop front, hotel shop lobbies, it sort of gives them that high-end high end look and it's, you know, good for their visitors. It's uh, Absolutely. Good, good to get more plants out there as well. So.
1: Yeah, totally. And, and this will horrify you, but I saw one the other day in a shopping centre near to where I live and I went up close and all the plants were plastic. Right, yes, yeah. and that, that is something, that um, you know, you, you, there are a lot of plastic ones that
3: are making their way, way out as out. well. So it's okay. it's all about trying to make sure that um, you know the real plants have a have a place in the, in green walls. Otherwise, they're landfills. I like to call them instead of. Green walls. <laughs> all right, we'll
1: put that. I know how you feel about artificial plants <laughs> yeah. because I think you told me once, "Say no to faux." So I'm, I'm indeed. Gonna move it's on. a hashtag. We're getting getting up and getting running up for and Plants. Running. Okay. <laughs> now, um, with vertical gardens in a home garden situation, what are yeah. some of the different? Versions available. I've seen some. Obviously, I know some are just made of fabric with little pockets that you yeah. put the plant into and you hand water. But I guess there are all sorts of other sorts as as well. There are. There's uh,
3: essentially they, they can range from from the very simple those um, yeah geotextile fabrics so that, yeah, right. those yeah. those pocket systems mm-hmm. where um, they're quite quite popular and a good introduction for people. You know, perhaps it's a good starting to, point, isn't it? To, yeah. to get into it, yeah. Um, some some work in. I mean, there's there's obviously soil based so growing media so a pot. Soil-based um, systems. There's even hydroponic systems out there as well. So um, there's, there's there's lots of different avenues you can take, and it really depends on 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 a the budget and the situation you're, you're looking at. Um, implementing one.
1: Of course. And then there are those modular ones which I see both commercially and residentially where you've got a big sort of modular unit. You can yeah. choose as many, I mean, they're sort of what, a metre by a metre or something like a box or yeah, a bigger. Um, yeah. yeah. How do they work? Well, some, some I like to, when people are looking at some of
3: those um, soil-based systems, um, relate it back to, you know, when, when they're looking at uh, – putting it together and they're wondering what the maintenance inside is. I said, picture, we've got all these 200-mil, you know, uh, eight-inch pots that we're mm-hmm. mounting to the wall. Because a lot of them are based on around little containers that… Which uh, slot into the modular thing. <laughs> yeah, it's quite easy to do once it's yeah. up, not it? Yeah, so there's, I mean, whilst it's easy to do and, and, and homeowners can get out there and do it, there's, you know, perhaps a, a, a few little… Trip points that they they often make al- along the way of, of, of putting them together, which might mean that they they don't have the success that they otherwise uh, wanted. But I mean, anything from you see, especially online, people doing it with pallets and yeah, repurposing right. things, um, it's, getting it's, sort of organic and creative with the vertical, exactly. Ground. And it's it's mm. fun. I mean, I've 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 worked on projects before uh, where we're actually greening up. Uh, site sheds, so for construction workers trying to bring a bit of green life in into their wow, uh, really into the yeah well it, oh, it, was, it was all born about these spaces being temporary structures so yeah. there's not much put into you know they don't have indoor plants delivered of course and uh, we actually went out there with a, a, a construction team and uh, we out of things that you all found on a, a building site we put together um, uh, partitions and and green walls uh, out of pallets and and, wow. and and buckets and all that type of stuff. Builders' plastic that you'd find on a on a job site, which was good fun. They used it as a as a bonding, you know, um, uh, process from between their their whole group, and um, also got the benefit of of, of a beautiful space. So. Wow,
1: I love that idea. That's good. that's that's amazing. And the other thing with those modular systems we were just talking about the the thing I do like that's flexible. There is, of course, the plants are in pots. You can pull out a plant, replace it. Yes, so if it dies or it looks crook or whatever. So that gives you a nice flexibility. Um, and the other thing I've noticed is there is a difference. Some are fixed to the wall, but there are also some uh, non-fixed vertical uh, wall yeah. units on wheels. I've seen a couple some of those which would be great for a balcony in an apartment or something. Balconies,
3: I mean, mm-hmm. often you still do need to have them to tie back to a wall much. You do a, a bookcase. A bookcase, because, yes, of know, course. for, for security, yeah. Security, but, yeah, um, but can the – yeah, there's some, mm. some on wheels through there, so we do put them. Actually, into schools are quite popular with those as well because oh, yeah. they're normally a smaller size and gives them a, a, a sort of you know, test case into the world of, of green walls and sometimes yes. they set them up as little hydroponic systems that work exactly the same, but they're running water through them constantly and have oh, a wow. reservoir
1: at the bottom. So. Are they, if they're not hydroponic, you water them uh, manually, Just obviously. Just like a regular. So your choice. Yeah. yeah.
3: So yeah. There's, there's, there's options through there in terms of um, yeah free more freestanding units and uh, in office blocks. That more self-contained of type course. of of products, obviously, you know, you need something that's going to be. Uh, they don't often get the most uh, loving affection. No, People love their wall like but they don't, yeah, yeah, look after it so much. So they're more automated and actually sometimes just uh, run off a reservoir at the bottom
1: that pumps water up the top intermittently so yeah so a simple sort of self-regulating system yeah. with, with a pump yeah okay um, now what sorts of plants are best suited to growing vertically I've seen different ones used yep. apart from the plastic ones the the as well yeah. um, but one I saw that really t- took me was the idea of using a vertical garden as your veggie and herb garden because a wall might be the only sun you've got in yeah. in uh, particularly in city gardens Yep. and you suddenly turn it th- that into veggies and herbs so that seemed to work really well um, but I'm wondering what other sorts of of ornamental plants did you So yeah ornamental plants it really comes down to
3: the the situation where you're putting them but you often find a lot of the plants that do well in council roadside plantings that are, right. are, are quite successful in in green walls for that right. same purpose that they 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 quite tough especially in those in those sort of uh, sun drenched because it it can be quite a exposed location to be growing if you yep. if you picture if you're on a western wall <laughs> your whole life you're uh, you're feeling totally. the heat and feeling it with all the irrigation and all the things working in the background it's still quite an exposed location but um Aside from that, moving into shade, I, I actually like trying to find things that naturally grow in that sort of so mm. situation. So all your, um, all, all your epiphytes and lithophytes, things that naturally grow up in trees or in, um, uh, on rocks can be great wonderful plants as a you know
1: starting palette. To, yeah, to, totally. To I saw a in. wonderful shade one and it was all bromeliads and ferns. That's yeah. pretty much it. And the foliage colours were great. The texture was great. It was shady, obviously. I guess the water requirements would be a bit higher. But if it was in blazing sun and you wanted to reduce water on your vertical garden, well, you could do succulents. And they did do again.
3: succulents, yeah. yeah.
1: So a lot of the plant choice comes down
3: to the system that you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be able to alter different growing medias for the different plant materials within it. Sure. So it's sort of uh hydrozone it in a way and that's yep. in the way that you're actually making it but um, otherwise if you're looking at um, uh, other things it's actually just the amount of fill that you require because some of them work better with smaller plants that can you know, cover the background working system, whereas some you rely on those larger varieties to
1: fill out and hide some of the the magical workings behind. Workings behind, of of course you do. And look, you've partly answered this already as we've chatted, but I'm just wondering what sort of maintenance is involved. Obviously, if it's tied up to a hydroponic system and automated, it's not a lot of maintenance. It does itself.
3: Yeah well there is still so we've got a commercial one down in Melbourne so I actually from Sydney can track the irrigation needs on oh, that okay. from you know some of the technology through here so it's actually the main thing with, with that system, apart from the, the seasonal maintenance of going through and just trimming it because it's totally indoors, just working off um, artificial lights, um, but it has pumps that run. But the main thing is actually making sure that those pumps always run. So of course, it, yeah. it's 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 that type of thing which becomes some of the more important aspects of, of, of that uh, stability really because sure. a green wall becomes a brown wall very quickly in, yeah. in summer Not when the irrigation look. doesn't work. We, exactly. So yeah, yeah. Um, keeping, keeping that side of it looking. Um, Another thing which uh, looking at feeding, fertilizing your your, your vertical garden is a lot of people think and if it's one of those systems that are essentially lots of little pots. Yes. As you're feeding, if you yes. put something like a, a, a regular fertiliser in a granular form in those pots, you'll yes. actually get a compounding fertiliser effect making its way down the wall as the right. water from each level keeps dragging some of that nutrient from up above it down into the next pot down. Yeah. Yep. So we're sort of going through and, and use you know, a lot of the time liquid feeds. So of course. Liquid feeding through there so you don't get as much of that compounding problem for the soil-based ones and then obviously for the hydroponic ones dosing the nutrients into the into the mix. So.
1: Absolutely. So it's fairly- low maintenance on the whole, and if you're scared of buying pumps and moving parts and hydroponics worries you, there's still always, as we've already said, is the option of just watering potted plants in a vertical exactly. garden and looking after them yourself, just as you would um, any pot plants. And I guess uh, you can always give them a spray with the with the hose nozzle. So there's yeah, they're, they're not they needn't be terribly high maintenance in that. Sense.
3: No, the only thing I would recommend for which for anyone that puts them in, it, if if they have the most basic of automatic timer, that's probably the, the of course the main thing that I'd recommend everyone does yeah. Um, because, yeah, as the, even the most diligent person. He's going know, to forget. Yeah, forgets or, mm-hmm. you know, if, if something happens in your life and you disappear and, as I say, they dry out quite quickly. Yeah. So and um, the other thing is finding the right growing media for them because um, you want to actually have something. If you've got something potted there that you want, Essentially, staying in that growing media for year upon a year, long time. Yeah, you're going to be looking for for something a bit different than your regular potting mix um, in in that type of situation. So we we often put in a um, uh, things like uh, perlite through it just to help hold it open a bit more. Because mm. as, as as potting mixes age and growing media's age, they they tend to slump and shrink a little bit. Um, that helps hold the air and uh, and and keep them Makes you know, a, a
1: lighter mix, much happier. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But it's also lighter on the wall. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, I think they're great. I'm noticing them everywhere, you know, from the Chelsea Flower Show in the UK and the Melbourne Flower Show, they always feature. You now see them in airports, you see them in lobbies, but I'm seeing them more in houses. As I said, this herb and veggie one I saw was on the sidewall of an inner city house. Yeah. And it looked great. So I guess the message to gardeners is you've covered the ground, look up, get vertical and uh, start exploring the other options in your garden that you've never thought of using. So it's been great chatting about it. Thanks for that, Matt. Thanks, Roger.
2: Black. Hi Milton, how are you? Very well, Jan. What are your moon tips for the garden for the next two weeks?
0: First of all, from the 29th, so it's Monday to 29th, right through to Saturday the 4th, the moon's gone to sleep, it's in hiding, it's on the last quarter of the moon, so there's no planting whatsoever between Monday 29th and Saturday 4th. But What are you going to do? You get your gumboots on and you sharpen up those secateurs and shovels and you start preparing your garden beds. It's a great week for getting into the garden and uh, making compost, spreading compost, uh, doing all your spraying, uh, heavy pruning. Now, if you've got uh, plants here that need good pruning, This is the week to do it. And you get in there and prune them heavily and take your rubbish to the tip. Get your mulch spread around your plants as well. Rake up the leaves and make compost if you don't have any compost there. So it's a great week to do it. And a good little tip there too is when you're making compost, just save a little part of your garden bed. Put your leaves and that in a heap and spread them over with a liquid fertilizer and then just uh, cover them with a piece of plastic or, or shovels of uh, soil and leave them there over the winter months. That's so making that in the spring- a leaf
2: mold, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. It is. And you can really use it in the springtime for, uh, for manure around the plants. So it's a big working day. Anything you've got to do in the garden, you work very hard at it over this period from the 29th to the 4th. Now, there's the new moon on the 5th. You don't do anything on the 5th. You can have a rest on that day. Oh, that's but great. The moon, Thanks, Milton. The, <laughs> the moon enters Gemini on the 6th. So, on Monday the 6th, it's in Gemini and it's in on the 7th as well. Now, what I would suggest to gardeners, if you've got some of those plants there that need removing, if they've been put in the wrong position or if they're growing too big, that's the time to pull them out and transplant them on the 7th and also on the 8th, 9th, and 10th. You can plant. Uh, any above ground crops during that period as well so you can transplant and the thing is don't get your strawberries you can put your strawberries in when the moon enters into cancer on the 8th 9th and 10th so those are fabulous days for above ground crops strawberries rhubarb cabbages peas spinach anything that grows above the ground no beetroot None of that sort of stuff that grows underneath the ground on root crops. So it's it's pretty good in that respect. Now, the moon goes into Leo on the 11th, so you can water and just fiddle around your garden. A little bit of light manure there, perhaps. The first quarter of the moon is on the 12th, so there's no planting on the first quarter of the moon either. And then the moon enters into uh, Virgo on Monday the 13th. And that's not a planting day either. So the only planting days for above-ground crops you've got is really from the 8th through to the 10th. But you can transplant plants from the 7th onwards. That is a perfect time in the garden for above-ground crops. Now, another thing too is that... um, During this period, you can harvest those Brussels sprouts if you've got them, people. And don't forget to store your pumpkins, especially the ones with little short stems. Still leave them intact when you store them, Mm -hmm. and that'll keep you going over the winter months as well. And uh, use your um, hedge clippers and secretaires to remove the asparagus too. Don't just pull them out, cut them properly. And a little tip there too, the female plants, uh, they have little berries on them. You can take them out and replace them with male plants and that'll produce a fatter spear and uh, you'll get more of them too if you replace the female with the male. So maybe the male's dominating the garden and the asparagus patch, but who well, cares? That's you get not big... going to
2: happen in my house, I can tell you.
0: <laughs> but um, So that's that's how we go. And that's that's the planting for this next two weeks. Now I've got a little tip for you. Oh, got what's a little that? Tip
2: for you. Yeah, tell me. Have you ever had
0: trouble, had bad hair days and oh. things like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bad hair day. Well, I'll give you a little tip. Now, after the Anzac Day, of course, that's passed, uh, people have had rosemary, you know, to go off to to Anzac Day. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got rosemary in the garden. Get a handful of rosemary, strip it all, cut it off, and put it into a pot. Boil the rosemary in a pot. And uh, once it's boiled up, let it boil for a, a little bit of time. Then let it set for about an hour. And uh, just perhaps seep it for about an hour. How does it set? It.
2: Does it set into a gel or does it set into just sort of the bottom?
0: No, no just. Just, just in, into a, a sort of a, a very light liquid. It's mm-hmm. got a little bit of color there, but it's just very liquidy. And then you strain it and use it as a hair rinse and uh, preferably – What, the water? The moon. Yes. Oh, yes, okay. So you don't put or, rosemary in or, your hair? No, no, you don't put the, <laughs> you strain the you strain the rosemary. You strain the rosemary from it and just put have the water there in, in a jug. Yeah. And just keep pouring it over your hair. Now, as the moon is growing, so from the new moon up to the uh, fifteenth, the moon is growing there. So that's the best time to put it on your hair. Reason being is that on a, a moon when it's growing, the pores of the scalp become more porous and they absorb the actual liquid. And rosemary actually stimulates the scalp and also the facial skin too. So it doesn't matter if it goes around your face. It's very, very good for your skin and around your face as well. But it strengthens the limp hair. So if you're having a bad hair day, rosemary is the best thing to do. So there you are. There's a little tip that the moon can help you with too.
2: So that's going to fix my bad hair days. And when I talk about bad hair days, I'm talking about summer and the humidity and my hair is a frizz. Is that going to help?
0: Well, you'll find raised meat will help you in the summer, winter, spring and autumn. Uh, If you've uh, got a little sort of wrinkly skin there, it'll help sort of tighten it up as well. But it's absolutely super beaut. Well, there you go, people. All right. And happy gardening to you all.
2: Thanks very much, Milton.
0: Thanks for
1: listening to episode five. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Jen and I always enjoy having our chats, don't we? We Certainly do, Roger. So um, if you enjoyed it, please rate and review it so we get extra listeners. And next episode, which is episode six, is our final one of this autumn series. So do join us for that.